Welcome to Positive Talk Radio. We're glad you're here. I'm Kevin McDonald, your host for this grand adventure, and I thank you for joining us. You see, our mission is to create a positive personal connection to all things with courage and love. We invite terrific guests, interesting topics, and great conversation, all in a fun, entertaining way. And we always manage to learn something, too. So I hope you will stay right where you are for this episode of Positive Talk Radio. And welcome to Positive Talk Radio, everybody. My name is Kevin McDonald, and it's a Friday afternoon. I hope everybody's having a good day. And with me today, we have a very, very special guest. Um, she is on a bit of a quest, quest and a bit of a mission uh, to change some minds, to get people to understand a few things that, um, quite frankly, a lot of people have never really thought about. Uh, but they should because it's very important. Her name is uh, Jessica Pinn. And she's with us. And uh, the first thing I'd like to ask is if you, you may have seen her on The Daily Show on Comedy Central. And uh, she was talking about that. And they did a whole segment with her. And uh, how did you enjoy that? First of all, Jessica, welcome to the program. How are you? Thank you. I'm fine. Oh, good. How did you enjoy that program? Did you enjoy it? I loved being on The Daily Show. Did they, yeah, that did was they... amazing. It was an amazing interview. Um, I do wish more of my interview had been aired, but I was really happy with, you know, what they did air and how they acted out some of my story. That was funny. <laughs> well, it is, it is a comedy show and you have to admit what, what you talk about, what you're talking about is, is very unique. And, uh, we're going to get into all of that and why you're doing what you're doing. Um, and the first thing is, is that, uh, um, let's go back to, uh, your youth, um, because there was a one point in time that you, uh, felt like you, you needed surgery to accomplish something. By the way, before I begin, I probably need to tell people that, that if you're uncomfortable with, uh, um, anatomy, because we're going to be talking a, a bit about anatomy and stuff. If there are children listening, you might want to uh, uh, shoo them off to the side, but uh, uh, or not because because it's nothing. It's it's exactly what we what it is supposed to be. Is is the human is the human body is a miracle of, of things, and and Jessica has discovered some things about uh, the female body that are that I quite frankly had no idea and stuff. So. Um, so if you wanted, if so, we're going to be talking about that today. So it's it's a little bit of a subject matter, but it, uh, adult subject matter, but it's also very important for everybody. Wouldn't you say, Jessica? Yeah, yeah, it's and, definitely important. Um, also, I think you know it is sometimes appropriate to separate anatomy from sex. Like just because we're talking about anatomy doesn't mean it has to be seen as inappropriate or correct. as like adult content. You know. Correct. Um, because, because body part is, it's like, it's, I guess it's kind of like, you know, if you're talking about your elbow and your elbow's got a problem, nobody, nobody would consider that to be unique or different. They would say, Oh, well, let's talk about your tennis elbow. What's, mm -hmm. how does that work and what goes on with that? But when we talk about private parts, that's a whole different, for some reason, it's a whole different topic. It really shouldn't be, should it? Mm-mm. Cause, cause it's really, and it it's, tends to be even more taboo with female genitals, which is really unfortunate and has a lot of negative consequences. Absolutely. You made but, on the daily show, you made a statement in regards to there being something like 52 pages of uh, documents and things talking about the male genitals. And tell us about that. Um, I gave an example. So Medscape is online continuing medical education for doctors. And so they cover anatomy and they have 57 times as many words devoted to describing the penis as describing the clitoris. And that was something that I wanted said because, you know, I met with them last year. Um, over a year ago in August, and it was my understanding that they were going to change it and they haven't. And so, you know, throughout the course of my activism, I have wins and I have losses. 
And that's a loss. Um, this ratio, the 57 to one is not uncommon. You see similar ratios of coverage in medical textbooks and just in medical literature overall. So I think it's a good example. It's also a public example that anyone can go look up. Anyone can get access to Medscape and see what they cover. And they can see this really striking inequality. That same inequality pervades anatomy textbooks and journals and just everything. Why do you think that is? Um, I think it all comes down to cultural suppression of female sexuality. Um, I think that this fundamentally derives from slut shaming and ideas that women shouldn't be sexual, um, especially, you know, historically, uh, women were supposed to be, you know, reproductive, emotional. We weren't supposed to have sexual desires. That was very taboo. Um, if women went to the doctor and said, hey, like, I need to have orgasms, they were considered to have some kind of pathological problem, right? They would get diagnosed with nymphomania. Um, uh, before they understood how conception worked, the clitoris actually was considered important. Um, but then once they realized that women didn't need to have orgasms to conceive, then it was not considered important. Um, well, that kind of sucks, doesn't it? It does. Um, so I guess it has to do with taboo around sexuality in general, but then especially around female sexuality. Um, you know, just, you know, and I encounter this all the time. I think a lot of women do. We encounter sexual double standards all the time. You know, it's taken for granted that men are allowed to be sexual. It's considered normal for them to desire sex just for the sake of itself. But for women, romantic or, you know, emotional, sex is only appropriate in the confines of a loving relationship. You know, there are all these constraints. Yeah. And this impacts how female sexual function is discussed in medicine to the point that female sexual function gets discussed in chapters on emotional issues and psychosocial issues. They really? talk about, sorry. Really? Yeah. So it gets discussed like right next to domestic violence and eating disorders. And what they primarily touch upon is how relationship factors and lifestyle factors and body image can impact female sexual function. And they tend to avoid discussing genitals. It's really crazy. And what I've said is the clitoris is the only organ for which anatomy is considered irrelevant to its function. It actually gets pretty comical because, you know, what it's like if you're a woman and you go to the doctor with sexual dysfunction, you know, they might consider your hormones, but if you're young, they probably won't. So like after my surgery, I lost external sensation and I did not really understand. Like I didn't really know what a clitoris was. I couldn't find my clitoris, which is so insane and embarrassing. All I knew is like, you know, I was barely 18 at the time of my surgery. I had a labiaplasty, which maybe I should explain is a surgery to reduce the labia minora, which are the inner lips that surround the vagina. I thought that they were too long. Um, after my surgery, I had pretty much lost, like pretty much all external sensation. My labia minora were completely amputated and my clitoris was damaged. And so the activities that I had engaged in before my surgery, like, you know, just having my vulva touched or, you know, I had sat on one man's Face, right maybe I should say boy because he was like he was like 19 you know <laughs> you know <laughs> but um I you know I had done that one time that was very exciting and then I that was it and but I had so little experience like that was like less than a month before my surgery and then after my surgery I got a new boyfriend and and the the guy whose face I sat on, he was just a random person. <laughs> <laughs> he was a random, like he, 
actually I think he was like he might have been like 21 he was like a little bit older than me at the beach you know like and I didn't really care about him which actually made it safer because I didn't care because there was this this is something that people really underestimate for women like sometimes there are advantages to more casual situations because I care with this guy like um you know he was like I knew him because like our families knew each other at the beach you know because we there was like this community but I didn't care about him, you know? So he, when, you know, when he was like, sit on my face, I was like, why not? <laughs> Where, whereas otherwise I probably would have been self-conscious, but sure. I wasn't. Cause I was just like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> but um, so, so that was, that was a great experience. And then afterwards, um, you know, I had uh, this new boyfriend go down on me and I couldn't, I couldn't feel anything. And I just assumed that he didn't know what he was doing. It took me a while to really attribute um, my lack of receptivity to my surgery. One problem was I didn't masturbate. I thought that was something that you weren't supposed to do, which is like, I mean, we need like a a campaign to get all women and girls masturbating. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you you know, I'll tell you something um, from my from my experience is that you're right. Uh, people are told it's naughty. It's 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 you shouldn't you shouldn't pleasure yourself. When I, well, a hundred years ago, when I was in grade school, they used to they used to say and never abuse yourself. I had no idea what they were talking about about abusing yourself, but uh, uh, turned out that they were talking about masturbation. But um, but women have always been told you know, that's, that's, that's not appropriate. And that sort of thing, which is wrong. You're, you guys are, women are just as human as men and they deserve to have all the uh, physical sensations and the emotions of everything that the men have. And they have ever, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that is your right. That is your birthright. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really needs to be for women, especially, I think it's so important that we get to know our own bodies so that we can communicate that. Um, there are so many ways in which, you know, sex gets defined around intercourse. And so we understand like, oh, sex is just penis and vagina. But most women, you know, like over 90% of women, I think, masturbate with just, with just external um, stimulation. Uh, there is some research from Dr. Lloyd Mintz about that so i don't know the exact numbers but basically you know it's that's the way that women get to know that like oh they orgasm typically from external stimulation and then once they realize that they can effectively communicate that to partners mm-hmm. but otherwise there's this expectation that sex is just penis and vagina and that it's all about making the man come and whether or not the woman comes is just like a random bonus maybe it'll happen maybe it won't well there's a there's a there's a whole uh, uh art form about uh women faking orgasms because of of trying to you know uh trying to please their 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 mate but they can that but they they don't get off he does and so they they don't they don't want to appear left behind you know what i mean it's, yeah i think you know i think that's so sad that's something that never occurred to me <laughs> <laughs> I think I don't have the people pleasing gene that a lot of women have. Right. Um, I think I think it helped. I was raised by a very disagreeable mom. Um, <laughs> that, you know, like <laughs> I grew up in a household where my mom kind of like told my dad what to do all the time. Like my dad gave himself a slave name. So <laughs> <laughs> poor guy. I mean, it's a joke, but. He'll, yeah. he'll be like, oh, I just work here. Or like, he calls himself Toby. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I probably, I don't know if I should say that, um, share that, but it's all a joke. Um, absolutely. absolutely. But I didn't, I didn't grow up around, I didn't grow up in a household where it was like, my, my dad didn't have to be coddled. You know what I mean? And so I think that maybe that influenced me and that it never even occurred to me to do anything to coddle men. I think it also may have helped that, you know, I was quite attractive in high school. Like some people will argue that part of the problem is like all the women are only attracted to like the men at the top or something. And there's like this 
market imbalance. I don't know. It's like these are there are always these evolutionary psychology theories to explain why the world is fucked up. I find them annoying. Um, but for me, it was like it was like I was attractive and I always had so many boys like and I, I guess I wasn't very picky. You know what I mean? So for me, it was like I had so many options. And so I never felt like every guy seemed disposable. Like that sounds bad, but like, no, or I should say replaceable, you know? So I never felt like I needed to make anyone happy. Like I remember, you know, there was the, the guy I lost my virginity to after my surgery and I did not enjoy it, which is really sad. And so I had very little interest in having sex again. And so one thing I get frustrated with is how people assume that female sexual pleasure has nothing to do with reproduction. I think that it definitely does. Cause I think, you know, when women have pleasure and they orgasm, they desire their partners more, right? They want to have sex again. I did not want to have sex again. And I had this boyfriend who was pressuring me to have sex again. Not one, like one night I was like, no, you need to leave. And then I texted him, Hey, I don't want to see you anymore. You know? Which is kind of like, maybe I should have told him in person. But, um, uh, not necessarily. But it was like, but it was funny how I just, you know, I, not only did I not give in to pressure, but I was like, you need to go, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Which I think not enough. I mean, I think, I guess there was that, that one song, like, my name is no, my number is no, like, you know. Maybe I think a lot of women, they're yeah, they're raised to be people pleasers, and they feel uncomfortable saying no. I never felt uncomfortable saying no. I never felt uncomfortable asking for what I wanted. I just didn't know how my body worked, and by the time I was having sex, my sensation had been changed. But yeah, maybe I should get back on track as far as like my activism. <laughs> let's let's talk about um, a little bit about the surgery. Because mm -hmm. the surgery was done when you were young, when you were just 18, mm -hmm. and uh, you, th you felt that cosmetically it, it was something that you would like to do uh, to, to change a, a few things. But he um, claimed to be uh, an expert in the field, and as it turns out, he wasn't. Um, that's correct, isn't it? Um, well, this was 2004, and... I think there were very few people calling themselves experts in the field. And um, what happened was I found out about labiaplasty online when I was just trying to learn about my anatomy. I didn't know where I didn't know what a clitoris was at 17. I didn't know how to find it. So I Googled and I ended up reading about the vulva. That was the first time I'd even heard the word vulva. I ended up learning about the labia menor. I had no idea what they were. I was like, oh, those things. Okay. You know, and so, so then I was like just doing a deep dive, you know, because I'm just kind of a nerd. Like once I decided to learn about something, I just like go deep. Um, but then I ended up on labiaplasty surgeon websites um, because that's what came up when I Googled labia menorah. Ah. And, um, you know, I, like this all just happened because of curiosity. And the next thing I knew. I was reading that protruding labia minora are considered unfeminine and embarrassing, um, that they are caused by excess androgens, that they're caused by masturbation and sexual activity, and that they are caused by aging. None of these claims are supported by any evidence, yet they continue to be published in peer-reviewed medical journals and in medical textbooks. Um, so one thing that I've gotten changed is I've gotten the American Society of Plastic Surgeons to stop calling labiaplasty rejuvenation um, because that was fraudulent. It's, you know, what's crazy to me is how these surgeons can advertise these surgeries with fraud. And it doesn't seem like there are, there are any ways to hold them accountable. You know, like I've thought about reporting them to state boards, but... It's like that's work for me and I'm not sure that it would go anywhere. And it's just really bizarre. With the American Society of Plastic Surgeons, I called the Federal Trade Commission and I asked what could be done because initially they didn't want to change. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you know, and I, you know, I 
went back to them and I said, you know, this is fraudulent. And, you know, I have a big social media platform and I could get a lot of people to report you to the Federal Trade Commission. But it is sort of ridiculous that I have to strong arm these professional medical organizations. Um, you know, in general, in our society, we trust our healthcare system. We trust our professional medical organizations. You know, it may be an overstatement to say that we trust all doctors, but like in general, we have to trust doctors. And, you know, doctors get a lot of respect and authority in our society. We tend to believe that what they say is true. Um, but when it comes to vulvas, they publish a lot of things that are not true. And when it comes to the field of female genital cosmetic surgery, it is profit driven. Um, so they, I mean, they are, you know, my dad says, so my dad is a plastic surgeon and he says to not say that they're lying, but what they are doing is they are spreading false information without ever checking to see if it is supported by any evidence. And sometimes they cite sources, but the sources, they don't actually support what they're saying. So there was actually a part of the Daily Show that got cut where I said, you know, or, where Michael Costa, who interviewed me, was joking about how, like, oh, no one's going to check. You know, we're just going to make it look like we cited a source, you know, like like you would do on a paper that you're trying to cheat on, you know, if you want right. to get some corners. Like, but that's, I mean, I thought we all grew out of that in middle school or something, you know, like I thought that we were a little bit more responsible. No, when there's money involved and, and especially when uh, something goes wrong and uh, they, they will, will never take ownership of the fact that something went wrong uh, because that can cost them money. It can cost them a lawsuit. It can cost. So, so, the, and that was a problem that you ran into wasn't it? when, as you got a little older and wanted to get some medical advice as to what had been done, um, they were, they kind of covered for each other. Yeah, so part of the problem is I went to, part of the problem is my dad initially was really naive. My So my doctor was not an expert in labiaplasty, not even close. I was the third woman he had done a labiaplasty on. However, what I think is important to recognize is that all three of my members, um, so the other two women before me, apparently, were also physician family members. So he is someone doctors trust to operate on their family members. Uh, and people need to realize that the bar for that is very high. Um, so though he may not be an expert, you know, so like I, people will blame me for what happened to me a lot. Like, how could she be so stupid that, you know, she went to someone who didn't have more experience. But you know what, like, there will always be the first patients and even the first patients don't deserve to be harmed. And what's going on in this field is there are no training standards. So when doctors start performing these procedures, they just start doing them. And the first patient, the first patients are guinea pigs that are operated on by someone who has never been trained. Um, you don't see that with any other major cosmetic procedure, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, like, with a facelift, for example. Board certified plastic surgeons are trained to do facelifts in residency. Um, they are taught extremely detailed uh, facial anatomy. Um, facial nerves that plastic surgeons learn are actually much smaller than the nerves in the clitoris. They don't leave those out, right? They don't say, oh, those are tiny. We're not gonna put them in the diagrams. They don't say that. No, they don't. Um, they learn where they are and they, you know, they note like how to avoid damaging them in the, in articles on techniques, which is very different than the articles on techniques for female general cosmetic surgery, where they just don't mention nerves. Now, um, Jessica, I have to ask you something. And, the, and, and that is this, is that um, um, in my youth, I was around a little bit. So I've seen a few women naked. Mm -hmm. And every woman that I've ever seen naked is different, especially down there. Mm -hmm. um, and, and every, everyone is God made you the way they, that they did. I I'm, I'm 
appalled that there are were medical places that you could go that would say that it was caused by too much of this or not enough of that and it was ugly and it was not right the human body is beautiful and and your body was absolutely and but you got sold a bill of goods by all of these things that we're telling you at 18 and, and you know you can't expect to know everything at 18 and 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 stuff and so that that was really it was that was the first thing that, that really was a shame that happened to you and because you didn't cause that 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 was people things were telling you that right um yeah and so one thing that i want to address is that at least for me all my insecurities came from medical sources so a lot of the times you know the media so uh Labioplasties have been the fastest growing cosmetic procedure for two decades. Um, there have been multiple media articles about them, how, you know, girls as young as 12 or even younger are requesting them. You know, there are, it's all over TikTok. Like I got on TikTok because a 19 year old reached out to me and said that videos about labioplasty were making her feel insecure. So I got on TikTok and oh, I try to share my story and I try to talk about how this is, you know, a fraudulent business, basically. Um, I made one. So one thing I get frustrated with is everyone always blames porn. And they always, they always say, oh, like, people like women have expectations based on what they see in porn. And this is something that I really disagree with. Because if I had seen porn, I never would have had surgery. Because I had not seen porn, I was vulnerable to right. messaging from doctors. Um, so, you know, and I realized like maybe, maybe you don't see more extreme outlier cases in porn, but you know, that's not who is seeking surgery. In one study of patients seeking surgery, 43% of patients had labia minora that were less than average, according to another study done by the same team with the same methodology. So what's going on is not, it's not a function of how big the labia minora are, in my opinion, so much as vulnerability to messaging which is why in the study of women seeking surgery, 66% were virgins and the average age was 23. So I see that as really telling. Why would, a, why would somebody who hadn't had sex yet and still was intact and, and so forth, why, why would they even notice? I mean, why would, how could that even be in their, in, you know, in their radar kind of thing? Because, you know, if, if they were, if they were still a virgin, no, obviously nobody had said, Ooh, that looks weird. Uh, you know, kind of thing. So well, a lot of women, well, first of all, a lot of, uh, depending on how you define a woman, you know, we fool around long before we have actual intercourse. Like that's pretty normal. Um, so like for me, there, there was over a year where I was just, fooling around before I had intercourse. Um, and that's pretty normal. So people had seen me and no boys ever commented. In fact, one, one guy told me I was the most attractive woman he'd seen below the waist. And it oh, didn't yeah. register that like, maybe he, he liked my vulva, you know, it didn't register. Um, <laughs> But I was thinking more like he liked my butt or something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, the whole package, my dear. It's the whole package. And, yeah, but uh, you know, so yeah, I, you know, but also, I mean, there are actually a lot of women out there who are afraid to be intimate because they believe that their vulvas are abnormal. So they haven't been in an intimate situation and they feel like they have to have surgery before they can. Interesting. Interesting. It's really sad. It, it, um, it, it really is. And that is, and, and that's kind of a marketing tool that they use because that, that it's a money-making tool for, for an, an additional non-necessary surgery, I would guess. Yeah. So there was one article that called it the exploitation of an ignorance because ignorance of vulvar anatomy and aesthetics is so pervasive in our society. It's really easy for them to set a beauty standard. Um, it's very different than, say, nose jobs. Like, they can set all the beauty standards for nose jobs they want, but at the end of the day, we all can see each other's noses, and we can form our own judgments a little bit more easily, and we can observe, you know, how people react to different types of... It's a little bit more 
obvious. So like on a day, the plastic surgeons can say whatever they want, but on a day-to-day basis, I can see like, oh, there's a woman with a big nose and like, oh, there are men who think she's attractive. And that sort of, there's a little bit more pushback. Um, And then also what's even more important is that the function of the nose is respected in medicine. So super detailed anatomy of the nose gets covered and taught to plastic surgeons who operate on noses. And there are training standards. So if you go to a board certified plastic surgeon for a nose job, you know that they have been trained. Neither plastic surgeons nor OBGYNs are trained to do labiaplasties in residency. Um, One thing that my father and I have tried to change is we've tried to make it so that um, surgeons cannot get privileges to do labiaplasty at a surgery center unless they show that they have been trained. And we have not been able to change that. You know, like I go after textbooks because that is where I've been able to make a difference. Um, And by the way, congratulations on what you've accomplished because you've you've actually had five textbooks changed, right? Well, now it's six. Good. That's That's even better. Soon will be many more. The biggest wins are coming in 2022. Um, Netter is going to be getting updated, and so is more. I forget which one, but there are a couple anatomy textbooks by more, and I've already seen the new illustrations. So they're going to have a cross section of the clitoris, which has never before been published in an anatomy textbook. Oh, good for you. Yeah, so if there's anything that I've contributed to this world, it's cross-sections of the clitoris. That's, like, my main <laughs> contribution. Well, but no, there's, there's like, one other hopefully. thing. Yeah, no, there's one other thing that you did that they showed on The Daily Show, and that is, do you have that, uh, um, um, the, the, uh, the you, sh- you showed a, uh, um, um, a model of the clitoris. I do. Uh, it's, it's in another room. I can grab it. Oh, it, well, it's... It, would, well, would you mind real quick? How long will it take? It'll take two seconds. Okay. And we're talking with uh, Jessica Pinn. She's a uh, female anatomy uh, advocate. Uh, when she was 18 years old, she was had a surgery, um, and the surgery did not go well. It caused her to lose feeling, and uh, because they cut nerves that they didn't even know were there, um and and she'll correct me if i'm wrong but uh jessica the the that is what you discovered was the entire organ which is far different than what the doctors assumed at the time because nobody had done extensive research is that correct uh no (laughs) i didn't discover anything okay Um, so what i have tried to underscore repeatedly is um, ignorance of medicine is not much as what is taught, right? So, um, so super detailed anatomy of the clitoris has been known since 1844, or maybe you could, one OBGYN actually sent me, um, an illustration from 1672. <laughs> really? It, it wasn't very good. So it's not very good. So it's hard for me to really say that, like, that's when that's how long it's been known but they at least attempted to show the nerves in the clitoris and um they showed a cross section of the clitoris in 1672 so if, if that's then you're gonna have to help me here because if that's the case then there's how, a cross section you... of the clitoris and this has been known since 1672 wow <laughs> and yet but... It will be in a major anatomy, a major modern anatomy textbook for the first time in 2022. But you're going to have to help me here because if these people are doing surgery in that area around around the clitoris, aren't they supposed to know this stuff? Um, Yeah. So um, one problem is what gets covered in anatomy textbooks is incomplete. But a lot of the time, surgeons will think it's complete, and they just won't think. They won't think like, oh, is there something else there that I'm missing, right? So basically, so there are these nerves in the clitoris that are very superficial. And basically, you know, what's going on is like the clitoral hood covers this section, pretty this section. Ah. <laughs> it's pretty much what the clitoral, clitoral hood covers. 
and then there's the labia minora that extend down here, right? And so what happens is surgeons will be operating on the clitoral hood and they won't realize that these nerves are just right underneath the skin. Um, and one reason they don't realize that is because most diagrams do not show the nerves going into the clitoris at all. And so because they don't show it, a lot of the times doctors will make assumptions. And it's not just doctors. I talked to a biomedical engineer that made assumptions and she said, you know, because I was trying to talk to her about whether you could simulate the axons of the clitoris with electrodes. <laughs> so my degree is in biomedical engineering, but I forget everything. So I was talking to her and um, and she said, well, it would be too hard because the nerves, you know, they are brides and they're too small. And I said, no, they don't. They don't. They're big and they're right under the skin. And she had no idea. Right. Because people look at the diagrams and they assume that anything distal to where they show nerves means that like the nerves have branched off into teeny tiny little nerves so that you can't you know you can't see them right. um but so in my study we measured the size of the nerves in the clitoris and they were 3.2 millimeters in diameter at this point and they were 2.2 no no two just two <laughs> millimeters in diameter here like right around so we could dissect them all the way up to either at the glands or just before the glands like i think we got all the way to the glands in four specimens and with the six others it was just like almost almost there and then basically what happens is they just start branching off so much that you can't keep dissecting them very easily but they're really big nerves and so what's been happening is doctors and anatomists studying the anatomy would just stop dissecting prior to the clitoris. So for example, this one OBGYN who I got to publish a study as well, which got it into OBGYN literature for the first time. So the course of nerves in the clitoris was not in modern OBGYN literature until 2019. Um, and this woman, Dr. Marlene Corton, got it into the American Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology. And she published a study. In my original emails to her, um, she sent me a study that she had done previously of the branches of the pudendal nerves. The pudendal nerve is the nerve <coughs> that innervates, you know, the genital area. Um, one of the branches is the dorsal nerve. So when she did a study of the branches of the pudendal nerve, she described the course of the dorsal nerve. However, she only described its course up to, you know, here, like before, like what happens is it's like, it's, sorry, it's out. Is, am I losing my connection? We just, we just uh, it's froze for just a second. You're good. Okay. Um, basically, it enters, it actually enters the clitoris around here. And she stopped dissecting at that point. So then she didn't describe how it how it's in this whole thing, right? Um, and so when I was dissecting, and what she said to me is she said, the problem is those nerves are very thin and difficult to dissect, um, even with magnification glasses, unlike the nerves in the penis. And that is just blatantly, blatantly false. They are just as big as the nerves in the penis. Now, why would she think that they were very thin and difficult to dissect? You know, and it's I asked my dad while we were while we were dissecting, I said, Dad, how could anyone stop dissecting? How could they just think that they get too small? And he said, because they make it makes people uncomfortable. People are uncomfortable with the clitoris. So it's like they don't keep dissecting for the same reason they don't teach about the clitoris and sex ed. Because it's seen as inappropriate. It's the same thing. That's well. That's 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 very true. Um, most guys, um, especially teenage guys, it, it it never even comes up except in them maybe, uh, in talking with them amongst themselves. But uh, um, it takes it takes a long time to figure out, uh, for for some people to figure out how to how to please a woman because they can't find where where the things that uh, they need to work on are. 
Yeah, and it's really sad. Uh, the whole can't find the clitoris joke is really sad because what it is is willful blindness caused by discomfort. Sure. Right? Like, we don't, we're not aware of what we're uncomfortable with, what we don't name, right? Like, we don't even teach girls that they have clitorises. Like, I nope. didn't know what a clitoris was until I was 17. I was taught I had a vagina. So, you know, a lot of times our whole cultural conception of female genitals is the vagina, which is just the cavity. And so we're not, like our brains haven't framed female genitals right. right. And w like we don't frame sex in a way that is compatible with how women experience pleasure and orgasm. Not to say that penetration isn't great fun because it is, but that's not how most women orgasm. Um, well, it's, 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 it's the same thing. Like there's an old joke, um, about the differences between men and women. Um, um, women need a reason. Men just need a place. Um, and to have sex and that's Billy Crystal said that in, in, uh, um, um, city slickers, but, but it's, it's kind of true. Men, men are a lot more easily aroused. Uh, they they're ready to go and, and stuff and women women require a little bit different uh, or do you believe that women require a little bit different uh, stimulation a little bit uh, so this is where you know I have I have my narrative that makes sense to me and is based mm -hmm. on my experience and my understanding of how anatomy works it's possible that I'm not correct and there are some things that I'm emphatic about like that female genitals should be covered equally to male genitals. Sure. sure they should be. And then there are some things and I will, you know, I I'm like so hardcore about that. Like I will not budge, but there mm -hmm. are some things where I'm not sure. And when it comes to how easily aroused women are, I'm not sure. However, I think that what goes on is we have all kinds of, ways in which female arousal is culturally inhibited True. and on top of that a lot of the times um women's partners will not be trying to arouse them so like especially especially since i've gotten older not all the guys that i get with are just like automatically hard you know what i mean like <laughs> They're not, they're not, they're not just automatically hard. You have to like touch them, you know, like TMI, <laughs> like, but so I don't necessarily think like, I mean, I, I talked to a guy friend and he said, you know, the go-to way to get a woman aroused is to touch her vulva, you know, to touch her vulva, to touch her clitoris. Mm-hmm. And I think if guys know what they're doing and they're doing it the right way, that typically works, mm -hmm. right? Um, so I, I think that if if guys are trying to get women aroused in a way that is compatible with how we get aroused, I'm not sure that we don't get aroused. I wouldn't say that it's like that hard to get us aroused. I don't know, well, but there are, there are two reasons. I believe that there are two reasons for that. One is men's ignorance, and the other one is women's um, reluctance to say what feels good. That yeah. feels good. Do that. That doesn't feel good. No, don't do that. I, that's a waste of time. But this this is or this is how I like to be. Um, this is how I like to be uh, touched, and and women tend to not be forthcoming with that information and men yeah. are not necessarily all that interested in seeking that information. Um, so that there's a, so I think that there are many things going on here. Yeah. Um, right. One of the things that I think is good. So I think that the, a, a common narrative is that men don't care. It's, it's and not, I honestly, I don't agree with that. And I don't think that that's fair. No, I, 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 think I agree that with you. Men have, you know, they have their, stereotypically fragile egos and um <laughs> like in a word yeah and also they don't want to, a lot of times they feel like a need to um come across as competent 
and like they have things under control and like they know what they're doing. Of course. They don't want to admit that they don't know what they're doing to the woman that they are trying to attract, right? Well, of they course. don't want to come across as like incompetent. And so there's that there's a certain vulnerability maybe that that comes with saying, "Hey, what do you like?" that causes them to be afraid to do that. Like cuz you you know, they have to like once you explain to guys, "Hey, every woman is different." You know, it's great to ask women what they want. But like otherwise they might be stopped because they they don't want to look stupid. You know, and then another problem is there are a lot of women out there who want the man to read their minds. There are a lot of women out there who say that they are turned off by men asking what to do, which is just which makes us all a big clusterfuck, right? True. So then that needs to be changed because no, like people just need to communicate. And, but another problem is as far as women's reasons for not wanting to communicate, um, you know, there was one study that showed that women who exhibit female sexual agency, who, um, who asks for what they want are perceived as more promiscuous and then perceived as um, lower quality partners that and those those stereotypes i'm hopeful and the kids today i think are a little bit different than than in past generations and mm-hmm. i think they're a little bit well i'm pretty sure they're a lot more open to mm-hmm. to each other and and hopefully to get rid of some of the um the the domestic violence and stuff and the and the and the fact that men and women are equal I think I think that we're moving in that direction. It's slow. It and is slow. I think people, you know, sometimes there, you know, there are certain people out there who are like, well, things still aren't equal, even though we've given women equal legal rights. Therefore, all these differences are biological. And it's like, no, that's not how it works. No. Cultures take a long time to change. And I think culture around sex takes an especially long time to change because we can't talk about it. How are we going to change something we can't talk about? Now, I talk about it, but I'm weird. Like, I got a message, like, I've gotten messages from people that have been, that have told me that it's inspiring how relaxed I am talking about the clitoris in public, you know? And I kind of like that because I feel like, that adds to what I feel I'm contributing because I think that, you know, the more women feel comfortable, the more normal it will be for everyone to talk about and for people to, you know, counteract some of the damaging cultural narratives around sex and female pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I, no, I I agree with you. And by the way, thank you for what you're doing, because you're 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 taking a subject, a taboo subject, uh, that is um, that needs to be brought to the light of day. Uh, for for one special reason is so that people that should not, I can't believe when you said that uh, people are doing surgery that are not trained to do surgery, of of that type. That, that to me is something that needs to change like today. Yeah. And the reason why professional medical organizations have not gotten involved in regulating these procedures in the same way that they regulate other procedures is because of the taboo. Cor- uh, correct. Everyone just wants to look away. So, you know, like at, at every stage. So the anatomist publishing the textbook wants to leave it out because it's uncomfortable. They want to look away. And sometimes they don't even see what's missing. Like, and, and sometimes they'll, they come up with the most ridiculous excuses. Like this one anatomy textbook author, he said, well, I covered it for men. And then I said it was the same in women. <laughs> and it's like, bro, that's, first of all, it's not the same. No. And secondly, this isn't a good excuse for excluding the anatomy, for not showing the anatomy for women. Like, just go ahead and describe it for the women. Show it for the women. Like, why do they... Why are they? Why are there these endless excuses for leaving it out? And then the other excuse is that it's special specialist anatomy. So the penis is considered general anatomy. The clitoris is considered specialist anatomy. 
And this is taken for granted. And so many doctors have said this to me. And I'm just like, what is the rationale? Because it's not like, so like the clitoris is smaller than the penis, yes. The detail that's not getting shown, the nerve, which, you know, the main thing I'm concerned about is the nerves are just as big. So why not just cover them? Also, the anatomy is almost exactly the same. So it actually makes sense to just show them like side by side, because then, you know, they can learn it all at once. Um, what it amounts to really is censorship caused by discomfort. Um, the penis is seen as, is like legitimized by the fact that it's seen as reproductive. Uh, so one thing I actually have been emphasizing lately is the concept that vulvar anatomy is reproductive, that the clitoris is reproductive anatomy. Uh, mm -hmm. Because in my opinion, the denial of the role of female sexual pleasure in evolutionary motivation for reproduction is a denial of female sexual agency, mm -hmm. right? Like, why, how would humans have survived if women didn't enjoy having sex? If we didn't, right? Um, it tends to be taken for granted that men... Um, evolved to get pleasure from sex so that they would be motivated to reproduce and yet this isn't seen as obvious for women because the relationship is less direct right like we don't orgasm at the same time we're like conceiving but it's very much a part of the process and in my opinion like there are a lot of reasons it makes sense that we orgasm from external stimulation mainly because it's like one thing is I think that that's the important part of like the man has to pleasure the woman before he can gain entrance um there was one guy who dm'd me about like kama sutra or something and like people have told me stories of like different cultural narratives around sex that have privileged female pleasure a little bit more yes um and it definitely makes sense. Like, how would cavemen have convinced the cave women to have sex with them? Like, <laughs> would we really have done it for like some food when we have shown that women provided half the calories? Like, no, like, what were they gonna do? Bring us a, you know, some meat or something? Like, we already had enough nuts and berries. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, no, it, the, I'm kind of joking, but like, what did they really have to offer us? Like, <laughs> well, the, 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 one of the <laughs> protection for one uh, would be would be a, a, a good right. one. You, that you know, one. That you, yeah, you gotta. You guys, we are bigger and stronger, and so we can protect you a little bit better. Uh, but at the same time, um, it's it's no fun um, just taking what you want from a woman anyway. So you, it's it's fun to woo. It's fun to have a good relationship with them. Yeah, plus we would have had options. Like, I, just the idea that the women wouldn't have, like, I think that it, female pleasure would have played a role in mate choice. You know, like, there, there's, I forget who, who it is, but people have pointed out, like, if a man can't put in the effort to please a woman, he's probably not going to be a good dad, right? Is he going to yep. put a little extra effort in? Like, no. <laughs> Well, and that's that's the thing is that that uh, it's you know I'm glad that you're working on trying to bring some of these things to light and in a very matter of fact way, which you are because that's that's it really is necessary at this time, at this point in time. Um, I I really appreciate you. You're you're a lot of fun to talk to, by the way. Thank you. And how do you, how do you feel this has gone so far? Are we okay? Yeah, it's been great. Hopefully, I'm not going on too many random tangents. <laughs> No, no, you you know, it's it's important. This kind of conversation, even though for some people that may be listening or will listen in the future, it's a little uncomfortable. It's necessary because we need to get rid of the stigma around all the things that we're talking about, because they're just normal things They're You know, sex is, um, you know, it's like it's like a back rub. Uh, sex is, is just a different you're you're just rather than helping somebody have a nice relaxed back your massage something else for pleasure there's nothing mm -hmm. wrong with that that's that that's part of the human condition that's what we should be doing and we mm -hmm. shouldn't have 
the stigma around a body part and stuff. I'm just, I'm just really uh, uh, kind of irritated that that the medical profession doesn't take it as seriously as they should. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Sex is such a fundamental part of life. It is important to our health. You know, there are many benefits to having sex and to having orgasms. Um, one thing is, so there was one study that showed that, um, I guess level oxytocin levels increase a lot more in women who orgasm than in women who don't. Right. And that is a bonding hormone, right? So orgasm really helps with bonding. Um, it, I, I have no doubt of that because it, 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 it's the most fundamental thing that we all, that we all do for pleasure. And it's the most pleasurable thing that, that, that we can do. And, and it, I think it releases, there's a reason why it, it releases those, those hormones and the things and the reaction within the body to, to help. And because it's a perfectly normal, acceptable thing that, that we have taken and we've tried to hide it and, and stuff for, for, and we don't talk about it, but we should, and I'm glad you are. So that's mm -hmm. still there. Yeah. And I think that that's, also where the thinking around reproduction is wrong in that a lot of the times it gets viewed as just, you know, what leads to conception when really human reproduction is this larger process, you know, typically, you know, like women, first of all, females aren't very fertile. So like if a guy wants a reasonable chance of impregnating a woman, he needs to have sex with us a bunch of times. <laughs> he needs us to return, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then, um, you know, a lot of the times certain people will frame it as like, oh, the man could just abandon the woman, but it's like, yeah. And the woman could just abandon the kid. Like that, <laughs> there are, there's a purpose to the pair bonding that goes on. Yep. Um, to help enable like that more parental investment because, you know, human children take so much investment. Um, and I think that that's all part of reproduction. Like it's not just a matter of conceiving. It's a matter of, okay, yeah, you've got to conceive and then you've got to get to your pregnancy and then you've got to give birth and then the child has to survive. There's a you know, there's whole bunch of stuff. Whole bunch of stuff that goes to, to that goes with that, and including and then you got and then you've got this thing that you're going to be around for the next eighteen years, and and all that kind of stuff. I wanted to ask you though, since you've come out and are and have started this tour of yours and the the idea of of getting the word out, how has your life changed? Um. Well, for me, um. For me, what happened to me was a trauma. And I was able, you know, I finished high school and I went to college and I did biomedical engineering. And, you know, it was in college that I really came to understand what happened to me. And honestly, like it, it was traumatic, but it was more traumatic once I realized that. And at least not in a traditional way that I could. Um, and, uh, that what happened to me happened because of a systemic problem, because of systemic neglect of female genital anatomy. Right. Um, I realized that it was totally predictable. So one thing that bothers me is how, what happened to me is not treated as if it is worth preventing. Oh, it's and that yeah. to me you know, it feels, it has felt like an affront to my dignity as a human being, um, that the entire medical community doesn't consider my trauma worth preventing, that do doesn't consider fem accidental female genital mutilation worth preventing. One thing that I tweeted is that, you know, it's considered wrong to mutilate a woman's genitals on purpose for cultural reasons. 
and yet it's considered okay to do it by accident because of ignorance. It's never okay. And that just doesn't, it doesn't add up, but that's, but I mean, that's how it's treated by the medical community, by our legal system. Yep. Um, and it's, it's not right. Um, and so that was really hard to see. And the more I dug into medical literature and saw how clitoral anatomy is just totally neglected and, you know, the lab, like the function and the function of the labia minora is neglected as well. Um, before my surgery, I read that the labia minora play no role in sexual function. The biggest labiaplasty expert in the U.S. claims that there is no evidence they play a role in sexual function. That is false, and yet there are all these authoritative voices saying that it doesn't, saying that they don't. Most of them um, are men, I would assume. What? Most of them are men, I would assume. <laughs> yeah, most. The men, even some women, there was a female OBGYN who said she didn't know where people got the idea that they play a role in sexual function, which is bizarre. I think a lot of women aren't um, very aware of their own genitals, um, which is sad, but I think it's also caught, I think there's a sort of dissociation that happens maybe because of the shame. I don't know, but it is very strange. Um... The labia minora have the same types of nerve endings as the clitoris. They engorge with sexual arousal. Um, mechanical action on the labia minora is how Masters and Johnson explained how women have clitoral orgasms from intercourse. Their theory was that, you know, the pulling on the labia minora pulls on the clitoral hood and frenulum and kind of like helps stimulate the clitoris, if, if you see what I'm saying. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've actually yes. studied female anatomy. So okay. That... <laughs> well, so, I mean, they're also protective. I mean, they serve so many functions. And yet, all, so many, one of the most common um, adverse outcomes is that they get completely removed. Um, so, like, mine were completely removed. And that's the more so than damage to the clitoris that I hear from women who've had their labia minora completely removed. And they will go back to doctors like after my surgery i went to doctors and i was told that i looked normal and that my surgery could not have affected my sexual function even though my labia minora were completely removed and that that's a little crazy right and th that they could feel confident telling me no it's, it's in your head you know this one OBGYN, female OBGYN, told me i just needed to fall in love um, really? well, that's an interesting <laughs> attitude yeah <laughs> Yeah. There is this assumption that, you know, women are emotional about sex. It's all about emotions and not about genitals. Um, I think, you know, as much as I think pharmaceutical companies genuinely wanted to develop a cash cow female Viagra, I do not think it's a coincidence that they developed a drug that works on women's brains to make us hornier instead of working on our genitals to make us more aroused or orgasm more easily right like they just want to make sure we are horny like there's something a little bit wrong about that well it's you know that was also put together by a man because if you can have horny women then you can have sex more often and stuff. i mean i think that it was actually i mean it was actually pushed largely as a feminist endeavor and yet this still happens you know That's i true. see it as similar to how Say, oh, there's too much male gaze in porn, and then you'll get a female porn director, and she'll film it just like the males did because we have this like internalized male gaze, or you know, it, it's how female, you know, it's the same reason why female anatomy textbook authors are not more likely to see when anatomy is missing. They'll just see it. They'll just be like, oh, they, nothing is missing, and like <laughs> there won't be anything for the clitoris. Um. The chief editor of Gray's Anatomy, Anatomical Basis of Clinical Practice is Susan Sandring, female anatomist. I exchanged multiple emails with her, trying to get her to include the anatomy. And she said that she would cite, um, you know, a study of the clitoris. And she did. And I thought she said, we're going to include Jackson et al., the study. 
of the nerves and the clitoris. And so I thought, okay, she's going to include the anatomy. It's going to be great. She cites it. And so I have kind of like taken credit for that change. But the anatomy is still not shown or described in the text. So it's like, it's like if somebody wants to go through the extra effort of like, you know, they're at least now going to be directed to another article if they want to learn more, but yeah, probably that won't happen. Um, by the way, we've been talking with uh, uh, Jennifer or Jessica Pin. And by the way, if somebody wants to contact you to find out more about what you're doing and and maybe support you in some way, how do they contact you? Um, just through my Instagram, Jessica oh. underscore and A-N-N underscore Pin, P-I-N. Um, I'm also on Twitter at Mediclit, M-E-D-I-C-L-I-T. People don't like my Twitter as much. <laughs> I think I, I stay less on topic on Twitter because <laughs> it's so hard because I only have one account and I really mm. should have two. But previously I had two accounts and I got banned and they said it was because I had multiple accounts for the sake of abuse. And I was like, I'm not abusing anyone. So now I'm paranoid. Yeah. Now I'm paranoid about making a second account because I'm like, oh no, like I'm so glad that you know, I'm back on Twitter. I've got 4,600 followers. You know, I don't want to get caught for ban evasion. Like, please, no one report me. You know, and exactly. um, even today, so a lot of be, the, even today, you got to be a little careful. Yeah. So a lot of the time, I will, you know, I'll tweet other things on my Twitter that don't have to, you know, like I need to say more, just like clitoris, 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 but. Instead, you know, I was reading this book yesterday called Anti-Fragile by Nassim Taleb. And I was so bothered by, he kept talking about prostitutes. I'm like, why is he always talking about prostitutes? Like this is, he's an economist talking about developing systems that improve when they're exposed to volatility, you know, or, you know, unpredictable events, right? Um, it, it's sort of about like being resilient, except like more than resilient, like resilient plus, you know. Um, and I thought it would be a good book, but he just he keeps making he thinks he's funny talking about prostitutes, but he's just gross, you know. And and so I had to tweet about that because I'm like, what what the fuck is his problem? Exactly. <laughs> That's the kind of thing that gets me in trouble because then you know I'll get in fights with people. <laughs> You can, that can get you in trouble too so yeah, jessica our time has come to an end my friend okay. um and we'd love to see you i'd love to see you again would you come back sometime oh yeah sure okay we'll see we'll see how you progress and how you keep going with what you're doing i think what you're doing is is needed and uh um i tell you i tell you what if you had if you didn't have balls you have them so you you've worked you've done really well to do what you're doing and i appreciate Thank you. So hang out right there for just a second. I'll be right back and then we'll, we'll say goodbye. Okay. So hold on right there. Hey, and thanks for listening to this episode all the way to the end. Hey, pretty cool. Hey, don't forget to follow us so you can receive regular updates and new posts. And remember, take care of each other because each other is all we've got. See you next time on My Independence Report.